It's really the, the vastness and the beauty of the mountain that is also kind of mirroring my inner experience of um, being there. Um, so it makes me really humble to climb uh, because I realize how small I am when I go up mountains and how really tiny I am in perspective with the whole vast mountain chains. Um, but it also makes me feel that I am a part of this uh, big picture and the whole vastness. You are listening to Stories for the Future Season 2. Stories about fixing our future and about big changes in career and life. Stories about being a beginner and daring not to always know the answer from the start. And stories about creating the best everyday life that we can. My name is Veselma Klavnes Berge and in this season I will be talking about connecting changes. I hope you will join me as I go out in the world and talk to people who are making positive changes for themselves, for other people and for the planet. Welcome! Hello and welcome back to another episode of Stories for the Future. If you have listened to the last episode, the one with Frida Berre Eklund, you would have heard me say that I was ending my little Swedish tour for now. You know what happened? I went back. Back to Sweden. It had to do with a postponed interview, a flu and different circumstances, but still. I say it again, something's up in Sweden. However... Today's guest actually defines herself more as a citizen of the earth rather than a citizen of a particular country. Her name is Karina Alquist. She is a climate research explorer and one of the most experienced Swedish female climbers, climbing higher than 8,000 meter mountains, collecting samples for NASA and the European Space Agency, and she is a member of the Explorers Club New York. In addition to that, she works as a senior consultant in sustainability from her own company, and she is studying earth science at Stockholm University. One of the topics we discuss in this episode is how we perceive ourselves as part of the natural world. When we see ourselves as one with nature, the respect for the planet comes as a natural result, Karina says. And Karina shares what I think is only parts of everything involved in a climb of an 8,000 meter mountain. And this, I can assure you, is not an ordinary Sunday hike. But as Karina says, we are all climbers and we all have our own mountain to climb. It does not have to be a physical one. We also talk about reducing our need of belongings and how owning less has made Karina feel more free. She's, she shares her own story of hitting the famous wall on how to cope with stress by being aware of our inner soul and embracing change, which is exactly what this podcast is about, actually. So let's start climbing and think of your own mountain as you listen to my conversation with Karina Alquist. So welcome, uh, Karina, to Stories for the Future. I'm so Really happy that you could uh, come join me on my podcast. 
Thank you so much for letting me in. Thank you so much. And this is a little bit funny because in in the last episode I had, I said that now I will be ending my Swedish tour. I had had two guests from Sweden and I said this, now we're leaving Sweden, but now we're actually back in Sweden. <laughs> so, <laughs> so apart from being from Sweden, could you just share some, like a little bit basic facts about yourself, who you are? Yes, it's funny that you, you're talking about uh, Sweden. So I actually would like to say that I identify myself um, uh, more like, uh, what should I say, like an Earth citizen. So I never thought of myself really as a Swedish person, but um, um, that is correct. So I was born in, in Sweden, in Stockholm, um, and I have a son who is uh, about 28. So mm. he is my family and my mom as well. So... Um, I'm stationed here, but my concept is is rather as an Earth citizen. Yeah, yes. And we will really come back to that because that's a very big part of what we will be talking about, I think. Uh, so, but like, uh, where where did you start out? Like when you were a student or what, what was your plan A? Actually, when I was a, a child, my first plan A was to be a missionary to, and go to Africa. Oh. I'm not quite sure that I knew what that was, but I was the, uh, <laughs> knew that that was something that you did in, in Africa and that was doing something good for, for the world. So I think that was my, my initial part. So I kind of always had that um, in my backbones so that I should do, try to do something good for 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 the world so that was my my first intention and then i actually when i was 19 uh, i went to to africa but then it was uh, rather for planting trees in the reforestation project so uh, i actually ended up there kind of as a first um, first adventure what you say uh, okay. so it was both climbing mountains and uh, and the planting trees so, um, so that is how it all went. And um, I did a, a um, career and studies as well um, mm. within uh, the area of um, international relations and um, social science. So um, I was working also in, in that area first and then changed more into like management consulting and international marketing and Mm. you know, corporate business uh, area. So, yeah, so that has been the the major part of your career has been within corporate or working as a project manager and in that area. Yes, exactly. So I, I was uh, working as a project manager and a consultant for like over 20 years. And also like a, like a manager with staff responsibility. So I done the corporate touring mm. <laughs> safari in my life. So that has yeah. been a, a very learning learning part. But the the part about the mountains, we will come back to it. But that actually started as early as when you were nineteen. Yes, Africa. exactly. So I climbed the, my first mountain in Africa, which was. Uh, um, uh, in Kenya, 
So yeah. um, I, I did that and I have no clue about uh, anything whatsoever about mountains, but I was uh, really happy and really, really cold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I reached about 5,000 meters and uh, I had never been so happy as there. So wow. I, I realized that uh, climbing mountain was something that could really make me happy and that people yeah. were actually doing. Um, before I was more looking at them as some, something beautiful to look at, but then I realized that climbing um, was really something exciting. But but working as a or in in the corporate world for so many years, did you did you sustain this like this interest in the mountains all all the time, or was this something that you suddenly like rediscovered later? I think I always nurtured a part of myself which was uh, more um, being, being and, and identifying myself as part of uh, more, if I say, nature and, and mountains. So um, I think I was born like that, identifying mm. myself like I am the mountain and the mountain is me. Mm. Uh, same for the river and so. So that was always what I carried with me. So even though I did the corporate management and um, management consulting and you know, that career, um, mm. I was always having that in my back head and longing back to that mm. and also to the more spiritual part of, um, of actually being and being a human. So I think that is a really important um, part for all humans. Um, mm. But some somehow we forgot where we came from and, yes. uh, and who we are as well. But that was really... Uh, somehow, when I was going to bed and, you know, thinking about the day, it came back to me now and then. Um, so it was more a feeling of belonging, but also longing to to go back there where yeah. I actually belong. Yeah, I see. So, But at some point then in your career, you made a change. Um, I, I think it might have been not so long before we met we met two years ago uh about uh what triggered that change and did you have kind of a like a pivotal moment or a coconut moment or what what happened yes you can really say that it was a coconut moment maybe mm -hmm. um so i had in my back head that i was kind of a longing for you know um being more my of more of who i am so to speak mm -hmm. um but actually i did the contrary so i was uh, uh, doing more and more things uh, in parallel um, i will not make the whole list of all that um, but i was uh, really efficient in many areas mm. both in the role uh, working um, but also as a mother and um, many other different roles as well. So I yeah. ended up actually crashing um, because yeah. of stress. So that was uh, 2009. Okay. So it was some, some time ago and it was actually yeah. May 12th. So I called that my second birthday. Ah. Wow. Uh, so I had my, my what do you say, real birthday, May uh, 2nd, um, but May 12th is my second 
birthday as such because uh, uh, I really um, went into the wall, as you say. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. the coconut part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the wall. Uh, yeah, the famous wall. I, I think I speak to a lot of people who mention this uh, famous wall. So it's uh, you're not alone, I think. <laughs> it, it was very serious experience actually because I lost my capability to to think and uh, to talk and uh, to act so uh, I was just having my eyes seeing what was happening but I could not act so I was completely paralyzed so my whole brain actually shut down Uh, so I was laid into a hospital and had to stay there so uh, it was quite dramatic yeah. And I thought like you know I would be back in in maximum 5 days because uh, I had not even had a cold for like 10 years and you know 5 days was an eternity and would that even be possible. Um but I ended up being away from uh, from work for um about 8 months before mm. slowly coming back. But that was uh also very much a growing part for me when Mm. uh, I realized uh, and landed back into what I actually wanted to be and and be more of so Mm. um, I see see it as a very positive experience as such although it can still be quite challenging actually yes and how did you work your way back Um, My way back was very dependent on slowing down everything because my brain was so tired. So I could not stand impressions from light, um, from sound, from movements, uh, and especially in combination. So uh, I was functioning like till lunch maximum and then my head closed down again. So... uh, <clears throat> it still does actually, so when I go by bus, I still have to have my eyes closed. Oh. But to me, you know, it was also um, a way of of shutting down what is external and then turning myself um, to integrating myself in my inner part. Mm. So when I had too many impressions that forced me actually to meditate and to Mm -hmm. slow down and meditation has been really uh, control alt delete when uh, I don't have any thoughts and just land in being and that has also increased the other capacities and uh, Mm -hmm. capabilities like um, more intuition and being more compassionate Mm -hmm. having more compassion to to others and uh, and also to to nature of course and more being than doing so i think mm. you know we have we are a human being we are not human doings so uh, yes. to me it was very essential to to land in this perspective so that's why i call it like my second birthday yeah and it's uh it, it's not uh, on the date of this recording but i think actually that this episode will be published on may 12th (laughs) so so then happy second birthday (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) that's a funny coincidence 
but uh, I think, it, would you say that, uh, because other people I've been talking to about this, like uh, hitting the wall, uh, they say that it's, of course, a really tough experience, but what came out of it is is very much worth it because uh and and why do we actually need to hit that wall be before we uh change <laughs> the, the things that are not working but would you say that you're grateful for the experience today yes you know i i'm really grateful for it and mm. i think change is coming in different ways some for some people it is uh, something that is growing more and more and that becomes so apparent that they just need to act upon it uh, for me it was very sudden like a coconut experience or what did mm. you say <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so i think change is coming in the different ways um, but i think it's also important to embrace change as such mm. And uh, that is when there is also the, the different attitudes that you carry with you that I think is important as uh, tools to actually maneuver in, uh, in life and navigate. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so where did you go after this, this experience? Was this, this when you started uh, your what should we call it, your second career in a way? Or was that later? I decided that I really wanted to do something that was valuable, that was having value for me and that most of all had a purpose. Mm. So I was not interested to be as efficient as possible in you know, delivering to clients a different process efficiency concepts or or so which is which is uh, bringing value but i was looking for a deeper purpose um so that was much more of interest for me mm. um, my first part was really uh, actually dedicating myself more to what say spiritual growth rather mm -hmm. um which was really you know brings bringing time and um, meditating and uh, doing different kind of uh, trainings as well, uh, like self-awareness and so forth. And then um, I was trying to go back to my, my original job, but I then had the opportunity to work with sustainability, mm -hmm. which was at least uh, more having a purpose than, you know, making processes more efficient in, in general yeah. in economic uh, areas in business yeah. life. Um, but I soon realized that uh, I needed a, a greater change. So that is uh, when, I, when I actually was asking myself what made me happy before. Mm. And then I remembered the mountains and uh, I had a very strong longing to go back to the mountains. So I did that. 2011, I climbed my first mountain, which was higher than 6,000 meters. Oh, wow. And uh, I actually was as happy as I remembered doing that. So yeah. I had tears uh, flowing down my, my face, you know, and uh, 
it's really the, the vastness and the beauty of the mountain that is also kind of mirroring my inner experience of um, being there. Um, so it makes me really humble to climb uh, because I realize how small I am when I go up mountains and how really tiny I am in perspective with the whole vast mountain chains. Um, but it also makes me feel that I am a part of this uh, big picture and the whole vastness. Mm. So it makes my conscious also uh, grow and uh, I really like that because it makes me feel more part of um, a wholeness mm. and a holiness too maybe. Um, mm. I never phrased it that way. <laughs> mm. But uh, I think of art more like a sacred place, you know, so sacred yes. places are becoming more and more important. So I think that also makes me me grow and it all fitted together, you know, so, yeah. yeah. But after this, you have been climbing uh, like many higher than 8000 meter mountains and you're collaborating with NASA and the European Space Agency and collecting samples for climate uh, climate research and how this how did this come about how how did you get there yeah you know i thought that i was going to climb an 8000 meter mountain my first mountain that was higher than 8000 meters which was at Chuoyo in 2014 mm -hmm. in tibet um I said to myself that what should, why should I go up there and just be kind of a cool adventurer? I thought that was just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't really matter in any sense. So I was looking for combining climbing with a purpose. Mm. And then I had the opportunity to work with a scientist via National Geographic. So I was connected to adventures and scientists um, in, in a network, so that made my first uh, 8,000 meter climb be actually in the service for science. So yeah. I collected samples uh, on this mountain and that included carrying ice in the frozen stage down the mountain, just getting 10 <laughs> bottles with frozen ice and, you know, putting marks on them and all the data needed and then they should be transported on jacks, you know, these animals, they... Yeah. Yeah. And the then they flew, flew also to, to Italy. And it went well because I had special, you know, emballage and everything for it. But then the, the customs in, in Italy, they got suspicious. So they, they kept <laughs> the samples for two weeks. <laughs> and uh, obviously it melted, but um, yeah. finally, when they, the researcher did manage to get the out from there, she could uh, she could do her sampling anyway. So it finally somehow uh, was managed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what what do they what do what do you collect? So you uh, collect eye samples. What do the researchers uh, use them for? It's very different between uh, the, the climbs and mm -hmm. uh, between the, the projects and the initiatives. So I collect both uh, uh, ice and snow samples, which is the most difficult thing to keep them frozen. Mm -hmm. So um, I also collect water samples 
and also rocks. Um, and now I will connect next time uh, plants. So it's uh, a variety of different samples. And uh, the, the overall um, purpose is to, to you know, contribute to science in climate change. Yeah. So some, uh, sometimes it is to see how much uh, pollution there is in the samples and yes. uh, do comparison as well. And sometimes it is to, as I work with NASA and the European Space Agency, it is to complement the satellite data from their satellites mm -hmm. with samples uh, from the face of the mountain. So yeah. uh, there are different um, objectives. Mm. For, for the sampling, um, but it gives um, always a, a, a good purpose for, for climbing, so... Yeah, and it's mostly related to, to climate, would you say? Yes, it's always related to, to climate. Mm. So I think that I need to pay back somehow to nature for, for being a human being. Mm. <laughs> mm. And uh, this is one part of it. And also, um, you know, being the voice um, for the planet. So what mm. I try to do is to record films and videos with messages yeah. from my climbs as high as possible um, to send a message of respect to the planet yeah. for, for being there and for receiving me. And a message also to inspire people to, to be more... Um, cautious about about how they act and live their lives vis-a-vis mm. -vis the planet mm. but for for most of us this is so so far from our everyday life <laughs> could you could you like uh, explain or just take us uh, through uh, what what does it look like like from start to end just like the the preparation the collaboration with other like the the people uh, in the country you're traveling to climbing from um, how does it look like what does it look like oh my goodness that's <laughs> yeah that's a huge question you don't yeah. have to take all the details but just so that we can can understand parts of how how big this it's kind of a big project Yes, it is. It is really a big project, Vestemoy. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I spent about eight months just for the physical uh, training to be in the best shape of my life ever. So yeah. that includes uh, a lot of uh, strength training and running, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a lot of exercises to, to be really as fit as possible. And there are special programs that I also do. In separated in different months how I train for mm. climbing um, but then it's also the whole logistic part of all of the the things I need up there mm. so I'm really happy to be up in the mountains because I don't have all the belongings that exist here um, yeah. on the sea level but yeah. I really need to have the right things in the right amount and with good mm. quality so the whole expedition can fail if I don't have uh, bars, for example, energy mm. bars uh, yes. with me or, or something to eat up there. So everything needs to be really planned in detail. 
So uh, it's a lot of preparations before I get there. And um, then in addition, if I do my sampling, I have a lot of contacts, of course, and collaboration um, mm. with the researchers just to find a project that is relevant and that I can apply to. Um, so that is also a lot of, of work to, mm. to get on board for these projects. So being a um, collaborator on a NASA project was not an easy task <laughs> to, no, to achieve. No, I can imagine. Um, but then also just arriving to Kathmandu is uh, the whole part of meeting all these wonderful people who are open and they are smiling and colorful and, and uh, everyone say namaste when you go up in the mountains. So it's mm. uh, a really friendly way of landing yourself into the mountains, meeting the people living there. So I'm very mm -hmm. proud of having friends and to know people in Nepal. So I'm very, yeah. very grateful for that. For the whole climb as itself, it's, uh, it's a big challenge. It's the whole acclimatization. Mm. When you go up and down several times, higher each time to to let the body adapt to altitude mm. and produce more red blood cells, you know, and uh, it's a whole procedure doing that. So you need, um, you need a lot of uh, capabilities to do that. But do the climbing itself includes very little oxygen. So it is like if you go out when it's really windy, and you meet the yeah. wind and you can't really breathe. Have yeah. you experienced that? Yes, yes. The wind is just coming to you and you, you can hardly yeah. breathe in. So it's really hard to, to breathe. There is little oxygen up there and it has its consequences too. Um, the winds can be very hard. So it is like standing on a, on a motorway and you can just feel the cars pass by really fast. And you have these jet winds too, and then you, you don't want to be there, but very strong winds. So you mm. need to be able to, to act and um, collaborate with the circumstances as far as, as possible. And then you also mm. have the cold. So it can be freezing cold. And it's like sitting in a, in a fridge sometimes. Yeah. And even if you have a lot of, of clothes, it can still be very cold. So it's a combination of a little air. It's a combination of a hard winds and being very cold and having no facilities really, no luxury and no, no elevators or whatever. You just have yourself. And, you know, I just love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very fascinating to me. I... I hate wind. I hate the cold. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's very, it's fascinating to listen to. And this, this is like two, three months or longer or that you like go up and down and the duration of the, like the. The climbing the itself is about 45 to 50 days and the preparation okay. is eight months. Yes. So in total, it's uh, it's a couple of months, but um, about forty-five, fifty days for an eight thousand meter mountain. So yeah, that is wow. what you can what you can calculate. 
But you also learned a lot of, of different uh, aspects. Like uh, before, I, I thought that cold was really cold, you know, and windy was mm. really windy. But then mm-hmm. if you see beyond that somehow, you learn yeah. to appreciate it and you learn to be with the, the elements. Mm. Because you are learned also to, you know, the, your parents and, uh, and everyone says that cold is cold and you shouldn't be cold, you know. Um, but it's, uh, it's a part of life too. And um, mm. I think it's important to, to learn... To, to be with the elements because we have um, we have become so comfortable. Yes, um, we have. And I saw a t- television program when they said that the bones were much thicker um, when you look at the, the skeletons that they found with our ancestors because they were moving around in nature. So nowadays people don't have as as hard skeleton any longer because they don't move. They they sit down too much. That's true. You know, so we are too too comfortable actually, and mm. rather look at uh, television maybe than than go out and do do things. Mm. Mm. You're so right. And uh, but did you did you ever experience something that because this is of course not risk free, uh, things can happen. And did you ever experience that you thought that okay, this is this is a bit too too risky, or this is really dangerous, or that you were in real danger. Oh, yes. Many, yes. many times. And I think that you need to be adapting um, to another level of risk and uh, insecurity and uncertainty. But it's also calculating risks. So there are some people who maybe take risks that are unnecessary, that can have severe consequences mm. um, my my take is to to take risks but to calculate as much as possible as far as it's possible and then uh, to act from there so it's always uh, having decisions to be made and the considerations to be taken and so mm. forth so you always need to be very alert but I have been in in Several locations where there has been uh, danger and risk for life, yes. Mm. Do you have any particular episode that you that is stuck that you thought that this is this is it almost? Yes, um, on my last mountain, which was Mount uh, Makalu, I climbed up to eight thousand one hundred and fifty meters. And then we had a white out, so it was uh, just white, so we, you know, you can't see anything. So we had to turn down, and that was rather close to the summit, so it was was very disappointing, but you always need to make good decisions to Mm. survive, so we turned turned down. And uh, then I got a snow blind up on uh, 7,000, over 7,000 meters altitude. And it was me and uh, my climbing Sherpa uh, guide. So we were only two persons there. So um, I needed to descend because it was too high for the helicopter to go up there. Um, So I needed to descend completely blind. And that was um, very risky because um, we... The climbing up is already a risky part. It's the most uh, dangerous part, actually, that section on the mountain. 
So climbers uh, were normally discussing how to climb up there, and I needed to climb with that part down, mm. being blind. Oh. And we had not enough uh, food either, um, but we needed to proceed down step by step. So uh, I also fell into um, a crevasse. Yeah. Uh, so so um, that was at 6,000 meters. So I was uh, not seeing anything and just oh. hanging in this rope in this very, very cold crevasse. It was like stepping into a, a fridge and just hanging in that rope. Yeah. But I think it's really all the all the positive parts I had with me from meditating and landing in myself that came to play. Mm. Because from that energy and experiences and being, I could focus and not get panicked and do too many things or just get paralyzed either and don't do anything at all. But to stay really focused and just try to climb up yes. from this uh, crevasse. So it was, uh, it was really close. Um, so you managed, to get, you managed to get up yourself? Yes, I, I climbed up and I also helped from uh, my Sherpa friend. Mm. And wow. then we, we stayed over the night and uh, the next morning after three days of uh, trying to climb down, uh, it was the, the helicopter that, that could finally reach us and, and bring me to mm. hospital. Hmm. Wow. So, so uh, was, this was your last, uh, the latest mountain you climbed? This one? Yes, that was 2018 actually. So, um, yeah. yes. So now, uh, when, uh, when do you think you will be able to climb again like with the uh, restrictions and covid and travel and everything that is a very very good question and i wish i had the answer if i could yeah. choose myself i would go tomorrow yeah i have a project in collaboration with the stockholm university now so the plan is to go to uh, to south america um, okay. for the moment it's not possible but the objective for that expedition would be to collect plants and leaves from plants um, to do chemical analysis also related to researching climate change. Yeah. And that would be my, my next project. But now it all depends also. Yes. And uh, I didn't want to go back to Himalaya either because um, I don't want to risk the local people's lives. And for the moment now, there is um, COVID in Mount Everest base camp. Yes. So that is also um, a difficulty with not everyone being able to evacuate easily from there in helicopter either. And then you stay really close mm. uh, to each other also on that, on that part, you know, being in, ba in base mm. camp. So it's um, a very, very risky thing to do. Yes, difficult situation. So, so now you're in Sweden, of course, and and I I remember you saying something about like um, after this you had this transition, you you have changed your life related to to stuff or owning stuff and more valuing experiences uh, more than things. Uh, how how do you could you 
share some some parts about this how you changed related to all the things and how maybe we all could think more about that it's a lot of learnings from from the mountains that i maybe some people can take part of and uh, Mm. and um, have their own experiences from so maybe there can be some advice my my learning is to stay really focused and i think especially in these times it is similar to being in the mountains in the part of we all live in a greater um, insecurity now we face much more insecurity and uh, challenges and changes so somehow we need to cope with that mm. and to me it has been a, a true advantage to be able to focus and not to split myself on too many things uh, or doings or you know scrolling around on facebook for uh, seeing what other people do or reporting mm. my life there or whatever but to really remember all the time to stay centered in myself and to to recognizing my internal strengths and um, weaknesses and uh, what I'm scared from and um, just to, to live with that. So I think that it's really important to, to stay focused, but also to have a patience and endurance. And I think that is something that, that you learn also from the situation now. Yes. And I think it's a good part somehow that everything is slowing down because you mm. need to meet yourself, which can be very uncomfortable in ways that if you didn't like do that so much before mm. but it's also the biggest encounter because you have that you remember the the space i was talking about yes you always have that space inside yourself if yeah. you if you let it be there uh, so the vastness of my of my climbs and the mountains and all the the views from up there they kind of belong to that inner space mm. still. So I try to um, realize that maybe I don't need the mountains to experience that with, mm. but I can experience it from myself because we actually have it all, our, all of us, mm. uh, if we let ourselves uh, experience that um, and take more breaths. Uh, you know, deep breaths to not be stressed and just to to land. Mm. So I think focus and endurance is of real importance. And from all that, it comes also less um, attraction and attention to, to things. So um, I have a little hobby and that is to sell my things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just before this uh, podcast, I actually had someone who wanted to, to buy some, some uh, flower pots or whatever from me. <laughs> so I get always so excited to get rid of things because it yeah. makes me feel much lighter. Yes. Uh, so I have some things uh, like a Buddha statue and other things that I really uh, like because they give me energy you know mm. but other parts that just take place or they they just not 
relevant. I, I love to have them recycled and not just to throw them away. Yeah. So that fr frees you up, uh, kind of getting rid of things. I can yes, see that. It, it, yes, it um, sustains my sense of, of freedom and this vastness too, to, to get rid of this, uh, these strange things that I collected in my life. Mm. So it's funny because the first part of your life you kind of collect all kind of different mm. uh, design mm. things or whatever to your home and then then the other part you I spend now trying to get rid of all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but um, coming back to uh, COVID, I wonder if uh, I hope that we will uh, take some parts with us, like after this is like stabilizing or coming some parts coming back to normal in a way that we will uh, remember some parts of the the good things that has happened, like people maybe going more out in nature. Uh, the shops has been closed, so you can't go shopping on a Saturday. Maybe you go to the woods instead. So, do you think that we have learned something that we will take away from it, or do you think that we will just go back to normal? I really want to hope that learning is something that is going to to change people's uh, you know lives um, so when i experience myself something that is hard i try to see what can i learn from this mm. what lessons learned can i bring with me what what is my take from this not just to have the feeling of of being in in a difficult situation but to actually learn from it so um, like climbing mountains i try to at least have three learnings from each climb uh, both in practical parts but also um, mentally what i can learn and what i can improve mm. but i think you need to be open to to and willing to to learn and that is also relating to how you embrace the change and uh, accept mm. it as uh, as a part of how things are Yes. So I hope that uh, learning can be something that uh, comes out from from this uh, COVID part. And um, I think that slowing down might also enable being more compassionate if you land more in yourself. Hmm. Feeling this vastness from the mountains and from landscapes that I think most of us have experiences. You don't need to go up an 8,000 meter mountain. I mean, you can listen to music or to Beethoven or, mm. or everyone has their own parts of experiences that. Mm. Um, so everyone has their own mountain, as I say. Yes. I think that that also brings a possibility to have more compassion. And then I don't mean necessarily only to people, uh, understand me right, but also to, mm. to the planet and to Earth. Mm. Because remembering that every animal and species, they breathe like we breathe, taking one breath and remembering that everyone is actually breathing is one way of making you feel that you are a part of a, a greater entity and uh, also we belong to, to the trees because uh, we are dependent on the trees for breathing oxygen. 
So we have an exchange with with the trees as well. So if you take your time to remember how we all are connected, I think that is really, really crucial uh, as a learning from, from this COVID part. And to see nature as something more alive. So I just wanted to say also that science have taught us that trees actually communicate via their root systems and the fungus that is um, creating networks between the trees. So they communicate um, with uh, each other and send uh, carbon dioxide and, uh, and uh, other nutrients between each other. So they can actually send signals and, uh, and uh, nurture even their own species more than other species, it has been found out. So I think that just looking at trees as a resource that you cut down and do some terrace tree planks or whatever from, uh, or just looking at nature as a resource is, um, is wrong because you need to remember that it's, it's life and it's uh, sacred. And uh, it's more like us than many other things. So I learned that we have like 70% of our genes are similar to a banana. <laughs> Just think of that, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I think belonging yeah. is very important as a lesson also from, uh, from this uh, COVID actually. Not remember that we are a banana, but <laughs> you need to keep the humor part, humor also. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's important. Um, but to be part of a grand, greater entity and still remembering who you are. Yes, that's true. Something we learned uh, during this period is to be more uh, digital, uh, I guess. And, and uh, the last uh, thing you did was this uh, last weekend. You had this, uh, I actually thought when you, you told me that you, you talked about North Car Carolina, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I, I couldn't really figure it out, but of course it was digital. But could you uh, tell us about this, this event or how that came about? What was it? Yeah, that was the, the water walk. It always makes me so happy to think of it. <laughs> yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was called the water walk. And uh, you and me, Veslimo, we met, we met in, uh, in Atlanta for the training to become a climate reality leader for Al Gore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we went to this uh, church where Martin Luther King had... Uh, his uh, speeches, and uh, yes. in there we had also a, a woman, a wonderful woman from um, uh, the Cherokee Indian nation, mm. and she gave a speech uh, too, and uh, as I identify myself very much with nature, I, I went up to her after her talk, and mm. we got connected, and since then we stay in contact, and this was uh, maybe three, four years ago or so. So um, I learned that May 2nd, which was my birthday, my first birthday out of my two birthdays, yeah. <laughs> um, they were going to do this water walk. And that was a walk to honor the earth, to honor the water, and also to pay attention to a pipeline that is planned to be um, built over 70 miles um, from Virginia to West Virginia or in that area. Mm. 
and it's going to be extended over sacred lands and they also start to destroy forests where they have buried their ancestors and it makes me so furious because I feel that that land is part of me because I am that land and that land is me um, as it is for everyone, by the way, so it's not nothing, nothing special in that sense, but I really mm. felt very strong for this. So I decided to organize a Swedish water walk in parallel. So there were 13 American Indian nations participating in this water walk May 2nd. And they were walking in small groups and teams, of course, for COVID. Yeah. So uh, we did uh, a small walk here, a few of my friends. So what we did was on our behalf to plant a tree, a little fir, uh, as a friendship sign and to um, show that we care about the planet. And planting trees is something lovely to do. I think it makes people happy. And it was also a friendship tree and a sign, a symbol, to show our solidarity uh, with these uh, native wonderful people because they have so much wisdom to learn us all and uh, that we all should actually pay better attention to because they have the, the keys to, to the future, I believe, because they had the keys to live in, in a sustainable, sustainable way in the past. So um, uh, I had four persons with me and uh, they were given one small stone to hold in their hand, like a power stone, each one of them. And I gave them a, a direction, the four directions, when we started to do our water walk. So one person was south, another north, a third west, and a fourth east. So when we planted the trees, I told them about the directions, and they each one placed their little stone in the right direction for the tree. And the tree got itself an own stone in, in the middle, which was the center. And that was uh, harmony and balance. So it was very symbolic. And we had the live stream uh, digitally with um, some of the organizers of this uh, uh, walk in, in, uh, in the North America. So I also did some storytelling uh, about a small bird that uh, because they also do a lot of storytelling and I love storytelling when I give my talks. So I won't do it the whole thing now, but it was about uh, a small bird that went to the sun to catch some sunlight uh, to warm up the, the earth, which was very cold in, in this story and to bring some warmth to the earth. So um, I also wanted to show them courage that if this bird can do this tour to the sun, um, it can. We can also have courage to to change, mm. to create change. And that little bird had four colors, and each direction, south, north, west, east, has its own color. So you know, okay. placing the small stones for the small tree was also uh, in connection and tying to to. Um, this little bird and the storytelling. So um, it, it made up a, a very nice story. And for each direction, we had one rose 
given to them over uh, the live stream. So we gave them five then roses mm. uh, as a friendship uh, sign as well. So um, I also, as I study, I study science, um, earth science at the university now. Yes. I love to learn geology, about geology, right? Geology. <laughs> geology and physical geography. Yeah. So I told them a little bit about science, about water, and then all the different actions we try to do here, you know, for human rights and so forth, um, mm -hmm. to, to support their, their movement to stop this pipeline. Mm. It's quite fascinating how you can connect and do this digitally and, and show your, uh, your support and, uh, or how, just how we connect to people from all over the world, uh, through these, uh, issues in a way. And yeah, yeah. technology makes us connect with each other on the other side of the world, but still we don't yes. always connect with ourselves and with the, the what is outside just our windows. So that's very true. It's, yes. Um, it's interesting. Yes. Yes. It is. So what, what are your, your plans now going forward? You, you just mentioned that you're studying uh, science, geology, and, uh, and you're also working now uh, with sustainability, right? Yes, I love to study about the earth because it makes me full of awe. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it makes me so happy to to see how everything works, you know, hydrology and so So I love that. That is my my special moments. Mm. Um, and then I currently work uh, as a sustainability program manager. So I'm a little bit back in the corporate safari mm. <laughs> um, because there is COVID, so I can't travel. Um, but mm. I still try to influence and create change and do something good by then implementing sustainability um, on corporate level. So there are 12,000 employees in, in that company. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, but as I have my own company, it's temporary. And I like the freedom of that too. So uh, my, my plans is to continue with the studies and then uh, to climb in Bolivia, and then uh, to be more more open and evolve my myself, my consciousness, and um, not to run too fast. I hope that people will not start running too fast after COVID again, because you are easily forget where you are. Actually, the more you run, you think the more you accomplish, but that's not always the case. Instead, you can let things come to you instead of running after them. With some experience, you can make that happen. So I so, try to practice that. Uh, creating a better future, I think, uh, relies very much on that we are able to imagine it. So how do you see the future ideally, like maybe some years from now after, after COVID perhaps, but related to all the issues that we are working on and sustainability, climate, how would you oh, like to see it? Um, 
it's hard to have a rose garden dreams when reality mm. is really hard to to face too. So I think I become maybe more realistic than than dreaming. But imagining mm. future is always also important because it gives hope, mm. it gives inspiration, and it brings you up and makes you go up every morning when you wake up. So I think that is that is really important. And what I hope is that people try to do their part to take care of what should I say, the the part which is the mess that we have created here. And um, also to to make less mess out of what we have and what we are. So I still have these hopes and that uh, the human beings stay on Earth and don't go to March or whatever, yes. um, but to stay here and uh, just take care about our planet because it desperately needs that. And mm. I think we desperately need each other too and to, to reach out and to collaborate. So I hope mm. that technology going back to digitalization actually makes us reach out and collaborate more, even though there might be trends also to be more centralized to where you are. I mm. think the combination of being a local and also still reaching out, mm. maybe in different ways, will still be very important. Yes. But I most agree. of all, also reaching out more in, in, a, in a spiritual way, kind of. And when you say mm. namaste, as they do in Nepal, when they say hello, I think that is really nice because it is mm. blessing the other person that you meet. And I think that is a very nice approach to each other. Mm. True. It's so interesting to, again, to see how many how many roles there are to play in the future and how many ways there are to to do work that is uh, that is good for our future, like the thing that you are doing. And uh, there's so many ways to do it. And so many like people have their own mountains, as you said. Thank you so much. It has been uh, so interesting to, to talk to you and uh, hear about all your your, your, your whole story I didn't know uh, all the parts so that was very nice thank you so much yes thank you and uh, of course I have to say namaste to you yes namaste <laughs> thank you so much for being part of your, uh, your lovely blog, um, pod thank you so that's it another episode in the bag after the interview, Karina shared with me what I think is a very good summary of this episode. She was once asked by a friend what would be her message if she could stand on the moon. Her answer was this. I will never reach the moon, but my humble words would be. 50 years ago, the message from the moon was one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Today, mankind, each and every one, need to take their own steps on the blue pearl earth to reach a giant leap for the planet as our home and for all future life. Everyone can do something. So true, Karina. I will be eagerly waiting to see Karina's next adventure. I think that I can be quite certain when I say that I won't be climbing to 8000 meters myself, 
but I'm definitely working on my own mountains, as should we all. I will not say anything for certain, but I think that the next episode won't be from Sweden, but who knows. You just have to stay tuned and you will know in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon.